You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to help you plan that unbelievable travel experience. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, excursions, and more in one place. There are over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from, so you can find something for everyone. And Viator offers free cancellation and 24-7 customer support for worry-free travel. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. New York Giants fans, and welcome to your Friday edition of the Valentine's Views podcast here on Big Blue View Radio, part of your SB Nation family of podcasts. As always, I'm your host, Ed Valentine of Big Blue View. Today's show, we're going to talk about a few Giants-related topics. We will also have an interview that I did with Newsday National NFL columnist Bob Glauber, who has written a very insightful book called The Forgotten First, which is about the history of the first black players in the NFL. So that's a very, very insightful book that, that folks uh, who are interested in the history of the, of the NFL should know about and should consider purchasing here as we get into the holidays but uh, we'll talk to Bob here in a few minutes a couple things that I wanted to get to first news related items uh, relating to your New York Giants also we'll make a little prediction here for Sunday's uh, Miami game the first thing I wanted to talk about is the status of quarterback Daniel Jones as I record this on Friday morning don't yet know Jones' status for Sunday. Head coach Joe Judge has said repeatedly that that whether or not Jones plays is up to the doctors. If Jones isn't going to play, the Giants are certainly doing a good job making it seem like he will. Jones has practiced on a limited basis on both Wednesday and Thursday. Should do the same on Friday. Giants had uh, had Jones speak to the media on Wednesday, something they usually don't do if they have an injured player who they expect not to play. Usually they keep that player away from the media. So they've sent all sorts of signs that they, that they think Jones will play, whether those are smoke screens or not, you know, intended to try to... Uh, to make the, the Miami Dolphins prepare for a player who won't be on the field. I don't know at this point, but the Giants are certainly doing a good job making it seem as though Jones will be at quarterback for the Giants on Sunday. Something else that I wanted to talk about is uh, the Giants' right tackle situation. Huge question that we always get here at Big Blue View and that I know other members of the Giants media always get is why does Nate Solder play right tackle while Matt Pert, a 2021 third round draft pick, sits on the bench and plays only when there are injuries and plays only a few snaps a game as a jumbo tight end. Offensive line coach Rob Sale 
was as direct as I have ever heard an NFL coach be on Thursday when he was asked that question. He basically said simply, Nate is the better player, period. And that's that's the bottom line. The New York Giants think Nate Solder is the better player. And for me, that is very, very damning when it comes to the future of Matt Pert as a starting as a potential starting offensive lineman for the New York Giants. Because we all know that Nate Solder is a less than adequate right tackle at this point in his career. We know that he's 33 years old. We know that he probably will not be a New York Giant next season. He probably will not be in the NFL next season. If the New York Giants, if Joe Judge... Freddie Kitchens, Rob Sale, whoever is involved in that decision, if they are looking at a 2021 third-round draft pick and believing that he is not a better option than Nate Solder at this point in time, that is a very, very bad thing for the future of Matt Pert with the New York Giants. And it likely means that you can add right tackle to the list of positions where the Giants will have to go out and find someone next season. Unless, of course, Isaiah Wilson, who's on their practice squad, former first-round pick of the Tennessee Titans, unless he turns into a player for them who can fill that spot, the Giants will be looking for uh, looking for a right tackle again next season. So very, very disappointing for a player that the Giants had high hopes for but who, in the eyes of this coaching staff, simply does not appear to be getting the job done. So we'll, we'll see how that pans out. We'll see if that changes. But after two seasons, it looks like the, the Giants simply are not convinced that Matt Pert can be part of their future. All right, the final thing I want to do before playing my, my conversation with Bob Glauber is talk about Sunday's game a little bit. We make our weekly staff predictions, the Big Blue View staff does. On Thursdays, yours truly is picking the New York Giants to pull an upset on Sunday. Partially, I'm counting on Daniel Jones being on the field on Sunday. I'm counting on the Giants putting together a a solid defensive effort. And making this, you know, one of those 17-14, 17-13, 19-17 kind of games and coming away with a victory. I know that the Dolphins are hot. I know that they blitz a lot on defense. I know that they've won four straight games. I know Tua Tango-Vailoa has been playing really, really well the last couple of weeks. But I personally am not a big believer yet in the Miami Dolphins. They're still 5-7. and seven. They're still a developing football team. I think that they might be due for a game where they come crashing back down to earth. And that's a little bit of what I'm counting on on Sunday. We'll see if I'm right. And uh, we'll see if the Giants can uh, can win another game and, and keep their, their really, really faint NFL wildcard playoff hopes alive. 
and uh, which they would uh, they would do that if they came away with a victory on Sunday. I think if they lose, we can pretty much stop uh, stop pretending that they're really a contender. We'll find out what happens. All right, Giants fans, let's take a short break here for a word from our sponsors at SB Nation. When we come back, I'll be talking with Bob Glauber of Newsday. Support for this show comes from Sylvan Learning. As a parent, you want your child to have every opportunity. But giving them the tools they need to tackle every challenge, that takes a team. Now more than ever, educational support tailored exactly to what your child needs can make all the difference. That's why parents have trusted Sylvan Learning for 45 years as the ultimate teammate in their child's educational journey, instilling in them a love for learning and a passion for reaching the next level. And Sylvan's Insight Assessment can identify gaps in learning and areas that could be of concern for your child. It's a 360-degree view into your child's learning that you can't find anywhere else and helps ensure that your child didn't miss something in school that might put them at a disadvantage in the future. And right now, it's the best price of the year at $29. Go to sylvan29.com to learn more and get your child's assessment for only $29. That's S-Y-L-V-A-N-29.com. Giants fans, I'm joined now by a special guest, a good friend of, of Big Blue View and the program, Newsday National Columnist Bob Glover. Bob, welcome back to the show. Ed, thank you for having me. Always good to be back. Hey, so, uh, you know, Bob, we have a lot to talk about with the uh, with the New York Giants. It seems like there's for a four and seven team and they seem to make a, a ton of news these days. But we have something a little more near and dear to your heart to to talk about before we get into the New York Giants. You with uh, in, in combination with Keyshawn Johnson, you have a new book out. So, you know, why don't we why don't we talk about that first book is called uh, The Forgotten First. And uh, why don't I let you tell folks what uh, what the book is about uh, as we get into talking about it a little bit? Sure. Well, this is a book about the first four African-American players in the modern NFL. Um, And this is a subject that really gets very little attention. You know, everyone knows Jackie Robinson broke the color barrier in baseball in 1947 very very few people uh know that kenny washington and woody strode in los angeles and bill willis and marion motley in cleveland crossed the color line in pro football in 1946 so full year before jackie robinson and you know it's just an undertold story that Keyshawn and i have been really passionate about in terms of kind of telling their stories and and why they're not heard of and why they really are important to the history of pro sports and, and football in particular. I, I, Ed, I find it incredible that, you know, it's such a big sport now. Um, the NFL is covered from wall to wall in every way. And history has been covered wall to wall. But this part of it, it's just not written about that much. And I don't think many people would know that there were no black players in the NFL from 1934 to 1945. That was 12 seasons. And it was basically, in in essence, an unspoken ban on black players. And and these four men, 
became the first players to reintegrate uh, the NFL. And in Cleveland, it was the All-American Football Conference. The Browns eventually uh, merged with the NFL. You know, their stories are important. Their stories are, are very neat. They went through a lot of um, a lot of the struggles that Jackie Robinson did, uh, including death threats uh, to Willis and Motley, uh, particularly in Cleveland. And, um, you know, Keyshawn and I are kind of proud to, to shine a light on um, stories that, that have not been told enough. You know, I was, I was reading the book, Bob, and I was like, I was like, I wanted to like slap myself on the forehead and think this is something that I never really spent that much time talking about, but, but that lengthy time period, I think 34 to 45 did happen. And, and as I was reading the book, I, I, I had that reaction of, I can't believe that, that this topic has never really gotten much attention. You're not alone, Ed. Um, I remember being in the Giants locker room probably three or four years ago and probably waiting to talk to Odell Beckham, um, you know, on those uh, long waits we had when we were uh, anxious to speak to him. I, it just popped into my mind. I'm looking at the at the room and it's, you know, it's such a diverse room. This is like it's it, it's a completely integrated locker room, more black players than white players. And I'm it just hit me that. You know, there had to be a beginning to this, I would think. And I'm like, who is who's the first black football player in, in the NFL? And I, I didn't know. Um, and there's just a really long and complicated history to it. So you're, you're not alone. Every, nobody knows the story. And I mean, I've been covering the NFL since 1985. And if it's 2017 and I don't know this story, something there's a disconnect there. And, you know, I don't, I don't know that the NFL likes to kind of shine a light on this part of their history. It's not a it's not a good part. It, it's a black mark literally on the NFL um, for for not being integrated at that time. Now, they've come a long way. The league is 70 percent African-American. They have made tremendous strides, much more than baseball, which has really got a problem attracting a diverse uh, group of players, especially black players. So there had to be a beginning. There was a beginning. I, I literally looked up on my, on my iPhone, first black player in NFL and Kenny Washington comes up, look at him, played at UCLA, played for the Rams in 46. And um, it's just, then you dive deeper into it uh, and, and you realize, wow, there, there really is something here. And I, and I approached Keyshawn um, a little less than two years ago. It's like, I thought it was important that I tell this story with somebody, somebody who has played in the league and somebody who kind of has experienced um, what it is to be a black player in pro football. And Keyshawn immediately gravitated toward it. And we kind of reached an agreement within literally two minutes. We knew that we were going to do this together and, and it came together very quickly. And, and Keyshawn has been a great um, proponent of it. And, you know, there is a personal connection with him. And part of the reason he grabbed gravitated toward it so much. So when I told him, you know, you grew up playing high school ball about five miles from where Kenny Washington and Woody Strode played in high school. He goes, really? I said, yep. And then he played at USC. Um, some of the greatest games that those guys played were at USC when they played for UCLA. So Kenny Washington's final college game, he walks off the field at, the LA Memorial Coliseum 
Keyshawn Johnson's last college game, he walks off the field at the LA Memorial Coliseum. The big difference, Kenny Washington wasn't drafted. He was the best player in his draft in his class in 1939. Wasn't drafted. No black players were drafted. Keyshawn Johnson, 1996, first overall player taken. They walk off the same field 50 some years later. So there, there are a lot of you know, it's symmetry like that. And there are a lot of correlations to the modern NFL, to, to today's NFL, where this story takes us. And it's um, it, to us, it was a pretty fascinating subject to get into. And, and I, I remain very, very passionate about it. Something about it that struck me was this was, I believe, you know, 1945 or 46. And something that struck me was that it was a year later that Branch Rickey brought Jackie Mm -hmm. Robinson to major league baseball. And there is, you know, some, uh, some things in the book regarding, you know, Branch Rickey being influenced by Kenny Washington and Woody Strode and, and and what happened in the NFL and thinking that, that the timing would be right, you know, because, partially because of what was going on in the NFL. And that is something that, that I never knew. Yeah. And I never knew that either. Um, and we didn't know that. Um, and you're absolutely right. Good job. You, you, good job there, Ed. Finding see, I, that little nugget. Because see, I read. Yeah, I, read. I know. Yeah, I know. Now, now Branch Rickey grew up in Ohio and he played um, football um, against uh, Charles Follis, who was a, an early player who played in the NFL, a black player who played in the NFL before that ban went up. And so, so Ricky, when he was with the Dodgers, um, saw that Willis and Motley in particular for the Cleveland Browns and, and Paul Brown's team, it was a super team in that league. Um, he saw that, wow, black and white players can play in a, in a contact sport and get through the game with no, it's like a, it's a, it's a sport. It's it's a sporting event. It's a game. There's no, there's no riot. There's no fights. They played, they competed and they got after it. And they did it in a, a way that really influenced Ricky. And it convinced him that the time was right to integrate baseball. And that had a profound influence on him. And, and, you know, Marion Motley carried a letter with him till the day he died from branch Ricky. And Ricky told him how much it meant to watch Motley and Willis uh, compete against white players and and why he thought it was important and why he felt that the time was right for Jackie Robinson to break the color barrier in baseball, a much bigger sport. Um, But still, uh, it it had a huge influence on Branch Ricky. And of course, you spin forward to, to modern day, Bob, and where we are now when we talk about diversity is we talk about are there enough people of color in head coaching jobs in executive positions in the NFL and and the league continues to uh, to adjust the the Rooney rule uh, to to try to bring more opportunities to to people of color. I'm just curious how you feel about this continued expansion of the Rooney rule and, and, and where the league is in, in terms of diversity, you know, on the, uh, on the coat in the coaching ranks and, uh, and in the front offices. Well, I think they, they have a ways to go. Um, and when you look at it, there are just very few 
African-American coaches or coaches of color. Like it's probably a better, better way to say it. Um, And especially when you consider that how much of the population in the league is African-American. I mean, you're talking about seven out of 10 players and then it's what three or four coaches um, uh, who are not white. So there is a disconnect there. They're, they're, they're making some progress. They've had to adjust the Rooney rule. They don't want to make it just a, to- a rule where it's a token interview and you get by and, and, you, and you hire who you want. So, yeah, there is some, some progress to be made. And, and, and we found it really interesting. You know, there's two, two real main areas that um, black, players have had, black players and coaches have had to struggle through, and that's quarterback. You see more black quarterbacks today and the, who are successful. I think it's more widely accepted, but quarterback and coaches. And incredibly, Kenny Washington, Kenny Washington was the first black quarterback to throw a pass in the NFL. It's that that is given to Willie Thrower in 1953, but it was Kenny Washington in his first season with the Rams. He threw eight passes. And in the first game, he was he replaced Bob Waterfield who was injured and played quarterback history just doesn't, doesn't get that. And does, and you know, hopefully that'll, that'll change the result. So, so Kenny Washington kind of is emblematic of the eventual struggles of black players to be accepted as quarterbacks. And then you forge ahead to Marion Motley. He desperately wanted to coach you know, a guy who played with Motley uh, once said that Marion Motley died of a broken heart because he couldn't coach. He would not, he could not get a single opportunity to coach in the NFL. And this is in the sixties. Um, and despite trying now, Paul Brown had the courage to sign him as a player, but he didn't offer him a coaching job and, and he just, he just didn't have it. And it, the time wasn't right in, in Paul Brown's mind, even in his mind. So those two coaching and quarterbacks, they kind of, uh, surfaced you know in the time of those two players and it carried forward so it's fascinating how the strings of this story go back 75 years to that first season and this is the 75th anniversary of that first season um the the strings really are attached to today's game and the struggles that that players and coaches do go through um in today's nfl Bob, to kind of uh, to kind of wrap this part of our discussion up, let's just say that that at least for me, I certainly hope that that in my lifetime and yours, we get to a point where where this is where this becomes a non-issue. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'll second that. Yeah, absolutely. And I think the quarterback situation is becoming less of an issue. We're talking more about. Hey, you know, is Patrick Mahomes the greatest quarterback? Not the greatest black quarterback, but the greatest quarterback. Um, you know, can you know Mike Tomlin go to the Hall of Fame if he wins another championship with Pittsburgh? Not because he's black, but because he would win another championship. So, yeah, I, I I'll agree with you on that one. And I think that guys like Tony Dungy, um, advocates for more opportunity for African American coaches and for players, they they want the same. Everyone wants the same thing. Just make it a sport where everyone gets an equal opportunity. And I think it's come a long, long way, especially among players. Um, it's still got a ways to go among coaches. So I, I think that progress has been made, but I think you can always make more progress. All right, Bob, let's, uh, let's spin our conversation here 
to uh, to the New York football giants four and seven as we talk looking forward to uh, to a game Sunday in Miami against the Dolphins if you had to sort of briefly describe the season for the Giants to this point I mean how, how would you do that Oh, you know what the first word that comes to mind is, Ed? Maddening. <laughs> you know? That's a good one. Uh, That's a really right? good one. Because, you know, you go back to the start. I really thought Joe Judge should have played his players more in the preseason. I know some teams, more experienced teams, felt they should not do that. Like the Rams never put any of their starters close to the field. But I thought this team was young enough and needed that work in the preseason and they get off to the slow start. Then you get that game in new Orleans. It's like, okay, you know, they kind of save themselves there and then it spins to one and five. And then now you kind of get this back and forth and, and you're at four and seven. And you know, who are you? Like, what is this team? It's a really good can be a really good defensive football team when they play their best. No question. Uh, not always as Tampa showed, um, but and offensively, that still is the bugaboo. And that is where this team struggles and I think will struggle and will ultimately not be a playoff team. They just can't score points. It costs uh, Jason Garrett his job. Uh, I don't know that um, Freddie Kitchens can be that much better with the same personnel. Um, so it's, um, yeah, it's been, been a little maddening. I think they should be they should be further along. You know, those close losses to Washington and Atlanta, that, that certainly you look back and, and those hurt. Um, and if they had been different, maybe we're having a different discussion today, but they're not. And that's, that's who you are. I'm so glad to hear someone else talk about the, the, the preparation for the season and the slow start that the Giants got off to, because that's a, a, a drum that I was banging as we got closer to the season is just how important those first three games were for the Giants. You realize, Bob, that they're four and four since that 0 and three start. Mm -hmm. If you look at it, everybody when they when they got to the bye and came out to play against Tampa Bay and didn't play well, but they thought everybody said, well, you know, if they go five and three or four and four, that's a pretty good second half of the season. If they manage to win seven games, that will be a stretch of 500 football over 14 games, which is the best that they've played since 2016. Hmm. And yet it's still pointless because of the way the season started. They would still be a double digit loss team that just that doesn't make the playoffs. So I kind of thought they blew up their season before it got started. Yeah. I, I think you you're, you're onto something there. Um, look, you can recover from slow starts, but that start in particular, and Joe Judge, he talked about it throughout the offseason. Got to get off to a better start. You know, he's 0-5 as a rookie coach. You get that. Joe Gibbs was 0-5 as a rookie coach in 1981, and he ended up winning a Super Bowl the next year. And he recovered, right? It happens. But, you know, this team in particular, they're 0-5 last year, and then all of a sudden, that I, they, they just needed to play, especially Jones. They were just not, they were just not ready to play. And that Denver game was so listless. Um, I don't know. They, I, I think you got to sometimes work your way into shape um, 
a little bit more. And, and you know, Joe's known as a, as kind of a taskmaster coach, but he backed off there, I think, at the wrong time. So I'll buy that. Now, again, you know, the starts don't dictate your your season, but, you know, you lose to an Atlanta team that turns out to be horrendous in the first half of the season. You know, that 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 really hurts. You're in a position to beat Washington down there and, you know, those penalties at the end of the game, Dexter Lawrence on the offside. I mean, God, that really was was a crusher. So um, and, you know, you're, you're behind the eight ball right there. And then you slip to one and five. And you're just you're just playing uphill the rest of the way, and it and it will be uphill the rest of the way, um, because it's it's a long way from here to to even 500. It is, and and it's it's as you said, it, it it's maddening. Bob, I do want to ask you: you were in the stadium Sunday for the game against the Eagles, and here at Big Blue View, when I did my Monday morning podcast. Uh, we were talking about the atmosphere in the stadium on Sunday. Now, Joe has talked a lot since taking the, the head coaching job about building a team that would represent the area, that would connect with fans, that people could be proud of. Last year, no fans in the stadium, 6-10 and 10 record. But did it feel to you on Sunday – which was the third straight win at home for the Giants, incidentally. Did it feel different in the stadium to you on Sunday? Was there more of an energy in the stadium that, than you've felt for a Giants game in a while? Or was that just uh, was that just me, you know, making more of, of people waving towels than, uh, than, than needs to be made? No, I think you were on to something there. I don't know if you were at the Raiders game um, the week before or a couple of weeks before, but that, that one too felt, you know, there was something there and they felt it. And Leonard Williams was talking after that game. It was, that one to me felt really different. And this had the same vibe. Yeah. You beat Carolina. It's, it's a, it's a bad team. And Sam Darnold was playing poorly. Okay. And you, you finally write yourself with it, with a kind of an easy win, but there wasn't the juice there and it wasn't a close game. But then when you play the Raiders, a, a really good team and, you come up with the right formula, and I think they had a great formula against a team that loved to, you know, rush the passer. And they'll have to do that uh, against Miami this week because Miami loves to rush the passer like the Raiders do. Um, but yeah, you what you felt, um, to, you know, especially uh, late in that Eagles game, I think that was that was real and that was old school. Maybe it had something to do with Strahan being there. Maybe it had something to do with it's a it's a long-standing rival with Philadelphia, and it's a close game and it's a winnable game, and they did win it. So yeah, I think those things added up to there was juice there, and there hasn't been that juice in a, in a long, long time. And it was good to see. And then the Giants they feed off of that, they feel it, and I think I think they play better as a result, especially defensively. So, hey, last question for you, Bob. You know, as we record this show, we're recording on, on Wednesday afternoon for our Friday morning show. Uh, we don't know for certain if Daniel Jones is going to play on Sunday against Miami. We found out on Tuesday that he's got you know some type of a strained neck, some type of neck injury. But Jones is one of those guys who, who will beg to play until they until they tell him no and you know we we don't know if he's going to play on sunday or not we'll find out later in the week but 
Obviously, Freddie Kitchens would like to have Daniel on the field. Freddie's got uh, Freddie's got enough issues trying to put this team together with the uh, with the mishmash of of playmakers who who seem to make their way to the field every every week. But my question, really, for you is: Where are you on Daniel Jones as we as we and as we get toward the end of his third season? Do you do you feel like you know what he is yet? I think I'm coming to the conclusion that I I do know who he is, and and I think he's he is a good quarterback, uh, but not a great quarterback. And you know, some people from other areas who look at Daniel Jones a little bit more critically might say not even that good, but I'll I say he's good, but he's not great. So that's what you're dealing with. And I, I, I just don't know that he's the kind of guy to be able to lift the players around him. Um, unless things are really good. Now, if he had, let's say he had that 2007 offensive line in front of him. And let's say he had, you know, the kind of reliable backfield. I mean, Saquon's a terrific player, but he's, he's been injured. Um, you know, Brandon Jacobs was, was a terrific back and, um, they, they had it going then. So if he's got that around him, maybe it's a little different, but he doesn't. And I, I just don't think that Jones has that ability and talent to kind of raise up, uh, the operation around him. And then that's important. That's look, it's tough. It's, it's hard to win in this league. And I don't fault the guy at all. The guy tries as hard as anybody that I've ever come across that works his butt off. He prepares his butt off. But, you know, unless you have the kind of talent that um, an Eli Manning has or, um, you know, a John Elway, that you don't even have to be a Dan Marino or an Elway, but you, you, you got to be a little bit more special. And I, I don't think that's there. Um, and, you know, people who said that Dave Gettleman overdrafted at number six, I think they're right at this point. Um, there's still time for him. He's still a young quarterback. But in this day and age, in this NFL, you develop quickly and more quickly than in the old days. I mean, Phil Simms had his best year in 84. He was drafted in 79, for good, goodness sake. He wouldn't have been with the Giants in today's world of, of NFL and salary cap. So I think you, you are who you are quicker in this league. And I think Jones is who he is. He's, he's good, but he's, he's not great. I think I would agree with that assessment, Bob. I also tend to think that that he's probably going to be the Giants quarterback next year just uh, just by default, simply mm-hmm. because there's nobody in the draft and the Giants don't have money to go out and get uh, Russell Wilson or, or someone like that. So I think it's going to be a little while yet before the Giants turn the page on Jones. Yeah, I think you're right. Um, I think he makes... I think in their minds, he makes the most sense for next year. And they can also keep him under contract for a year after that. And in the, in the meantime, maybe draft somebody in the, in the middle rounds, or if you, if you have a conviction on a guy higher up, you can do that. Um, you know, you're making no promises. You're getting a fifth guy, fifth year option on him for 2023, but it's not like you're breaking the bank to do that. Um, that's, that's the beauty of rookie contracts for the owners and for the teams. Uh, in terms of keeping a player under contract for five years, as you know, as Jones would be in in that case. 
All right. Hey, Bob, before I let you go, why don't you let folks know where they can uh, where they can pick up a, a copy of your book? I mean, Christmas is coming up and uh, I'm sure that that NFL fans, Giants fans uh, w- would enjoy, you know, getting a chance to read this book and would learn some things from it. So uh, so let folks know where they can get it. Yeah. And by the way, Emlyn Tunnell is a fairly significant part of that book, too. So great first black player uh, who played for the Giants and ended up going to the Hall of Fame. And you can basically get it anywhere you buy your books, local store, uh, chain store, Barnes and Noble, Target, online, Amazon, Walmart, wherever, wherever you shop for books, it, it ought to be there. All right, Bob, thanks for the time. And uh, we'll see you uh, out at the facility sometime soon. And we'll talk to you later. Sounds great, Ed. Thanks again for having me. Always a pleasure. All right. Bye-bye. All right, Giants fans, that's our show for today. Thank you, as always, for listening. Our thanks to Bob Glauber for spending some time with us. Go out and get that book if uh, if you're interested in, in some NFL history. It's uh, it's insightful. You'll learn a lot from it, and, uh, and you'll be glad that you did that. Giants fans, please remember, subscribe to Big Blue View Radio on all of your favorite podcast applications. Please remember also, take care of each other, stay safe out there, and we'll talk to you soon. Bye-bye. Support for this show comes from Fundrise. Buy low, sell high. It's easy to say, hard to do. For example, high interest rates are crushing the real estate market right now. Demand is dropping and prices are falling, even for many of the best assets. It's no wonder the Fundrise flagship fund plans to go on a buying spree, expanding its billion-dollar real estate portfolio over the next few months. You can add the Fundrise Flagship Fund to your portfolio in just minutes and with as little as $10 by visiting Fundrise.com Fox. Carefully consider the investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses of the Fundrise Flagship Fund before investing. This and other information can be found in the fund's prospectus at Fundrise.com flagship. This is a paid advertisement. Support for this podcast came from SAS. Data is everything. And now everything is data which means more to process, more to analyze. And now more than ever, speed to answers matters. So how do you produce those answers as fast as the world produces data? With SAS VIA, the quickest way from a billion points of data to a point of view. It's a more productive data and AI platform that helps you get more done. Learn more today at sas.com VIYA.